but after every talk, he would get an email from someone who says, I really didn't like what you said. It offended me. It wasn't that great. I thought you were this and you're that. After every time, this is the great Wayne Dyer. And what he would say was, my mind is clear. My heart is pure. My intentions are real. And after that, I'm, I'm not responsible for what people make of my words. That's the ultimate freedom I could give to people. And I think that's so powerful because so many people hold themselves back from worrying about what family member would say what, what YouTuber would say what, and we're all focused on that instead of having the, the incredible ripple effect with the infinite possibilities of putting our highest intentions out there. To have and a so, cognitive reframing. Right, and, and to see things differently and to have that slight shift, much like I looked at, you know, suffocation in those moments, within one moment, you know, the, the most, you know, lowest vibratory level of suffering was turned into the most euphoric element and so those things are always there but we have to be able to open up our minds and our inner visions to be able to see that and once we see that we embody that we attract that and we Absolutely. live that and Absolutely. i think in a way it's for people it's you could sit and wallow and stuff like that but ultimately that's going to be your vision and stuff like that and then be able to slightly make a slight shift and everything change what i love about you got to accentuate the positive You're listening to Karen Swain, teacher of deliberate creation, accentuating the positive, showing you a way to a better life. Accentuating the positive, it's not just bad, it's sanity. Who in their right mind would accentuate anything else? Hello and welcome to another show, Accentuating the Positive with Karen Swain. Wonderful to be with you again. <laughs> As, as Jacob doesn't realise that the camera's actually on you, adjusts his T-shirt. <laughs> oh, Lord. I have another gorgeous guest to introduce you to today. I'm sure many of you may have seen Jacob on the internet or listened to him on podcast shows. Jacob Cooper, welcome to the show. An honour to be with you. Thank you so much for having me, Karen. I've been very excited for this interview for a while. I was just telling Jacob that one of my clients, one of my <laughs> tribe, my online tribe, who uh, who's into all this stuff that I talk about and you know I'm trying to say to him you know you're a psychic and he's like no I can't do that I can't do that it's hard to argue with someone when they have a point of view even if even if their point of view is not right you know when you decide you're right about something you get to be right about it right so he's like no I'm not psychic so a couple of days ago he reaches out to me and he says you know what, Karen, I'm reading this amazing book called Life After Breath by Jacob Cooper. Have you heard of it? Maybe you should have him on your show. <laughs> and I said, and you told me you weren't psychic? <laughs> well, I got like what I have to say to that person is your wish is my command. Here I am. <laughs> there you so, are. Exactly. The law of attraction, right? You put law it out there. Attraction. But as you know, Jacob, I, I booked this like months ago and uh, and then he's saying like two days ago, have you thought about having Jacob on your show? It's just it's <laughs> funny old world, isn't it? Yeah. So anyway, he 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 um he's like, maybe I can tune in to stuff. Yeah, we all can, of course, we can all tune in, but I'm sure you can give us some more insights into that. Let me let me read your bio and tell people a little bit about you who don't know about you. Jacob gained many insights about the mystery of life on earth and on the other side of the veil from his near-death experience when he was a young child. He explored this further in past life regressions and today shares how the hereafter can assist us in the here now. In addition to the peace and euphoria he felt 
in the afterlife during his NDE, Jacob wants people to know we can also experience these feelings in the physical world. He wants to remind us that we are so much more resilient than we imagine and there is so much more to live for than we may believe right now. Today, Jacob is a clinical social worker, Reiki master and hypnotherapist who specialises in past life regressions therapy. Inspired by his near-death experience and transformative encounters, he facilitates spiritual awareness and empowerment seminars. He's the author, as we said, of Life After Breath, How a Brush with Fatality Gave Me a Glimpse of Immortality, Death, Even for a Moment, Changes Everything. In Life After Breath, Jacob's near-death experience as a child ripped open an awareness between his physical world and the spiritual world. He lived but was forever changed. As he grew, darkness and light led him on a roller coaster ride of turmoil, loss, discovery, and renewal. In his book, he faces the question of the hereafter, looks at life lessons, and examines what a connected awareness can mean to the human experience. He's currently working on another book. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I might need your guidance for the title. I'm still stuck on it so we have to talk <laughs> it's, it's good to sort of put that out to your tribe too what do you think what do you think uh, yeah. i did that because when i got stuck on a title and currently resides and practices in long island new york you can find jacob's uh, website jacobcoopers.com yeah put it out to the tribe and say uh, this is what the book's about <clears throat> kind of thinking about a few different titles what do you what, what do you think and I, I did that with the authors that were in my last book and, and Sandra Champlain came up with the title because it was interesting. I had the title given to me called Surviving Death. And as you know, oh, now names, you know, the um, beautiful lady that wrote the book Surviving Death, which is about NDEs. Do you know who I'm talking Les, about? Leslie Keane, is it? Leslie Keane. And then she brought out the uh, Netflix series, which is all yeah. about so shooting now yeah. yeah she's doing great work anyway cyrus was helping me on the book and he said you got to change the name we can't have the same name as her book and i'm like right. but i love this name and uh, he convinced me and i didn't know what the title was going to be so i put it out to the title. and sandra champagne came back and she said what about awakened by death and i'm like yes <laughs> oh, i love sandra i saw that you you know i was with every interview, I, I always make sure to listen. And I, and I saw that you were on Sandra like twice before, right? And uh, uh, she's just a lovely, yeah. lovely host. I love her program. She's an author too of a book is called I Think We Don't Die. Yeah. So uh, love Sandra. So, she's doing yeah. amazing work in the awareness of the afterlife. Amazing work. And, and you know, the fact that she was so, so skeptical, it's so great, you know, a skeptic's view into the afterlife, I think she calls the book. It's wonderful yeah. for those people awakening to a to a new awareness of another reality of I'm going to rephrase that of a truer reality a of the awareness of our home. I don't know how do we put that. Maybe you can. Yeah. Well, you know, you know what I love is um, I don't view that any person in any industry is better than another. I think everyone offers something unique. So you could be the brightest, most eloquent, whatever, but someone just might not relate to you. Mm. And so I think when you come from different necks of the woods, your vibe will attract your tribe and you will be able to reach people 
you know, that others, they could implode in flames and they could still not make an impact on. Absolutely. So, you know, that's, that's the amazing part. That's so true. That is so true. And as I, you know, I met Sandra at the beginning of her podcasting journey and we chatted as friends and she said, you know, I've had psychics say that I'm going to be really successful at this because she's a caterer, you know. And I looked into her timeline and I said, yeah. And then I was watching her <laughs> podcast exploding yes. and so much more exploding than mine. And I'm scratching my head thinking, I've been doing this longer than you. Why is it? But she is attracting a different tribe than me. So yeah. because she's very focused on death and the afterlife, whereas my awareness is much broader and more expanded. And eclectic, I'm yeah. eclectic, but I'm really attracting the people that want to take this information and do something with it in the world rather than the seekers. So I call them the New World Teachers. So well, my tribe are the New World Teachers. They're the healers or even if they're just cleaning up their own vibrations so that they can affect change in the world but there are people that really want to make a difference in the world so it's a different well, what world. i love about you off the bat is a i know you mentioned i shouldn't say this out loud but you have a virgo moon right so you're right. very very direct very detail oriented uh you know virgo is ruled by mercury it's a great planet for communication as is gemini but i came up to you and i said i've got this book she goes i don't care about the book i want to hear your story people <laughs> want to hear that stuff like that and uh you know, you wanted to get to the heart of the issue. And it was just, I love that. It was just very genuine. Because at times, you know, you're, you don't know someone. You're trying to, you know, say, I've got all these fancy things. So, you know, you want to sell yourself. To, I don't care. I want Jacob. I want I want you. And, uh, you know, that, that was wonderful. And that's representative of your program where you want... You, know, you want the little fluff of things. You want the meat and bones of, of everything. And you want the meat <laughs> and potatoes, rather. Not bones. Who eats bones? But meat and potatoes. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's that suits you. And it's. It, I'm sure it's allowed you to attract the audience that you want. So um, Yeah, absolutely. That's so funny. That those, those 10 or 15 are going to put a thumbs down on my video, right? <laughs> <laughs> They're always, I don't know what these people do. Do they hide on YouTube and just press thumbs, you know, thumbs down buttons and hang out in the grandma's apartment. You know, I think we take grandma's all house or something. What does people, what does people do for a life? <laughs> I think we take all that stuff to stuff too seriously. I think people go thumbs down when you, you say something that they yet, they don't believe yet. Like, Oh no, that's not true. You know? And when we're talking about this stuff, we're, we're, we're expanding awareness and a lot of people aren't there yet, you know, and they just think, oh, that's impossible. No, that can't happen. I don't think that it has anything to do with them, whether they like you or they like me. It's to do with the information coming through. Like, I don't believe that. Thumbs down. You know what I mean? And, and I think a lot of the thumbs up are, are usually people saying, yeah, I like these people. <laughs> well, what you just did was my, was what I do full time. To, to put it in clim clinical terms, that's called cognitive reframing, uh -huh. right? You have some a different perception and you're able to see the other side of it. That's a beautiful. Wayne Dyer will always say, the moment you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. And, you know, perception mm -hmm. is our our reality. But um, that's, that's an excellent point. And, you know, some of the things that are so innovative are often rejected. My grandmother was telling me, mm -hmm. you know, she remembered when the Beatles came to America. Right. And when they came in, the younger people going crazy, but the older generation had their arms crossed and their heads. And my grandmother was one of the only person who said, I like them. And other people were like, what? You know, that, that, that it's just, you couldn't say that when they were around. And so 
or you think of Queens behind me in Rhapsody, things are just innovated. They, they might take a couple of, a bit of time to adjust, but once they do, oh boy, you know, and I still find innovative people to be always innovative. You know, they're always ahead of the, the time. What so. is that uh, Apple ad? I hate to sort of talk about marketing, but it's the crazy ones that change the world. It's, you know, the yeah. innovate, the ones that are considered crazy, considered woo-woo, considered insane, that do things that seem impossible, that talk about impossible things. They're the ones that change the world. And like, I'm all for that, right? <laughs> like, let's be crazy and let's right. change the world. <laughs> so the, the issue now is we're going to have to come up with some new tricks because you talked about Leslie Queen and surviving death. Right. And, you know, you... Every, every five seconds, I get an email from someone telling me that they've had a near-death experience. It's just, right. and I'm sure for you, like people are telling you, I'm, I'm psyched, you know, the world is really catching up. So I don't know, we might have to do like a trans, you know, figuration or something, you know, more exotic to be different because this abnormal is now the new normal. In new a way. normal. Well, you yeah. know, it's, it's interesting. Changing. And I love that. But uh, When you run in the consciousness crowd, it does seem like everyone's having the same conversation. But when you go out into the world, I'm away at the moment right, yeah. in the country, right? Uh, and so I'm, a, I'm, in, I'm surrounded by a different crowd of people. And they are not having this conversation. It's, you know, it, we forget that the majority of the world are not having, even though millions yeah. are, there are billions who are not having this conversation. So, it, so, so we true. forget that we just can't have enough of it. You know, I was watching online. We haven't even got into your story yet, but we'll get there in a minute. I was watching last night with my friend who I'm staying with the um interview with uh, Meghan Markle and Prince Harry, which has gone viral across the world. I got a, I got a story about that in a moment, but yeah. <laughs> you know, this is a conversation the world's having, but near-death experiences, life after life, is not a conversation that the world is having. You know, they're talking about Meghan Markle and Prince Harry, and we kind of forget that it's just not in the mainstream, even though millions of people are, you know, talking about it. And like you say, you get someone every day says, I have an NDE, I have an NDE. Uh, yeah, it's our, and so I, I think that, so in the conversation last night, they were showing how the media who repeatedly is pumping out a narrative is making the minds of people believe something. And my friend had that viewpoint and we were arguing and she said, no, I think this, I think that. And I said, where do you get that information from? And it's from the mainstream media. So as this conversation went out to millions last night, just like you said, cognitive, what did you call it? Cognitive. Cognitive reframing. There yes. was some cognitive reframing happening in that conversation. I, I like, I like using some black belt moves right there. <laughs> that's, that's some Bruce Lee terms right there. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 you're, you're good. But it's funny, I have, it's called LA Talk Radio, Los Angeles Talk Radio. It's with one of my good friends, Dr. Michelle Cohn. Mm -hmm. And I go on LinkedIn and I see that she posted a segment that she had on E, uh, E Entertainment, where she did a body language analysis of the interview. Oh. So it's just, that was, that was really cool where she, and this is what she, she's a clinical psychologist. She's been doing this for years. So she's always on the big program. So that to me was more fascinating as a therapist to kind of see, you know, this, you know, cause most languages, you know, obviously not spoken is within, you know, body language, which has been, you know, an issue for a lot of people where obviously if you've, you know, if you've got the technology to, to have video, but for people who are just talking on phones during this time, you know, you could say, you could double talk, say one thing kind of mean another in a way and people, you know, wouldn't know. So 
you know, body, the body definitely speaks, but it's, oh, yeah. it's such a great reference. I, I look at, you know, you're familiar with Plato and I think he wrote this in the Republic where he talked about the allegory of the cave where, you know, there were prisoners kind of shackled in a cave and behind them were projected imagery, you know, of what the people behind them wanted to see. And they broke free, you know, by being able to take themselves out of the shackles and getting out of the cave. So in a sense, that was Plato talking about this, you know, hundreds of years before today's times. Mm -hmm. And that's very versatile in what you could think of it. I mean, I look at that for so many different ways. I mean, the near-death experience was some an allegory for the allegory of the cave, but also... The allegory for the allegory. We're going to get you know, into it but, in a moment, but I just want to talk about that. There is a book by Richard Bach, and the name escapes me. And he's talking about, in the book, he's, he's writing about a hypnotherapist, right? And this hypnotherapist is, is uh, exploring, or someone's exploring hypnotherapy, but he's seeing a hypnotherapist do that stage, stage hypnotherapy. And there's a man on stage and he puts him in a state where he says that he's in a, a circular prison or a prison with no windows. And this man is literally trying to break out of this prison and he's on stage with nothing around him. And he's going into complete panic because he feels imprisoned. But it's just the, I don't know, you've got better terms than me. That's just, he's just been put in a state. What do you call that? He's been given a suggestion and he's believing it. Power to suggestibility, the, the following suggestions. Yeah, you know, I, I, as a hypnotherapist, I don't like staged hypnosis because it gives us, you know, it's, it's so different than the work that I do. And mm. obviously Hollywood has very much pathologized and stigmatized hypnosis where really I view hypnosis as the most empowering exercise that we can do. Yeah. Where in a sense, you know, people are able to take power of their subconscious to make it conscious. You know, for instance, you want to lose weight and you're not able to understand why you're having these patterns and you go back and then you recognize, oh, geez, you know, I was physically abused as a child. And so now I'm having a weight buffer so that I'm putting up hazards so that people don't touch me, you right. know, or sexually abuse, whatever. So right. in a sense, like you're giving people power back with things that are just so far in their, you know, doorway of the, the inner mind and the subconscious yeah. and they're giving them the power back. So it's very uh, kind of expedited in terms of change and yeah. helps to get blockages away. So that's what I love doing it professionally. Yeah. You know what this book illustrated was that everything we believe is a form of hypno hypnosis, that we create our reality through what we choose to be believe. And just like I said, my friend or my client says, I'm not psychic, you know, and I'm trying to punch holes in his arguments like, yes, you are. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Everyone's psychic. He's like, no, no, no. And then he comes out and he says, have you heard of this guy, Jacob Cooper, the wood, like two days before I talked to you? I'm like, you're not talking. Yeah. So I've got a, I've got a, there's one saying, one of, um, one of the persons who endorsed my book, she, she you know, she helped mentor Teresa Caputo, the Long Island men, uh, medium. Okay. Yeah. A couple other mediums here in Long Island. Her name is Pat Longo, but she's got a wonderful saying that says, you're not sick. You're psychic. I love it. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> that's, that's a good sick. one. You're, That's, not, you're not sick, you're psychic, right? Because I think a lot of people when they're having all these unexplained tendencies or if they're self-medicating through food or if they're getting panic attacks, anxiety, so much of it is just they're empathing and they're picking up on energies and they just don't know totally. that it's not theirs. I have a friend who was on drugs for most of her life and then she started having some sessions with me years ago and I started talking about all the stuff I talk about and she said to me, are you surprised that I'm sort of 
you know, with you on a lot of the stuff that you talk about because I'm pretty out there. And I said, no, not at all. And she said, why? And I said, well, the only reason you were on drugs all those years is because you were an incredible empath and psychic and you, no one told you how to handle it and you couldn't handle it. So you numbed yourself for 35 years so you didn't have to feel. And she went, wow. <laughs> like that was, she'd been beating herself up for 35 years saying I'm a terrible person because I'm taking drugs. But no one had ever actually explained that to her, that it's not that she was a terrible person. It's just that she just didn't know how to handle that empathy and psychic ability. And, right. and so it was just better to block it out. Just block it out. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a different dichotomy, the spirit realm and this yeah. realm, where the spirit realm is like the ultimate strength based. It's it's their cheerleaders. It's you know, people who believe in you more than you could ever imagine. In this world, it's uh, you know, I can't speak for all, but it's it's um it's very judgy and um, it could be pathologized in a way. And so the oh, moment yeah. that someone you know, I had a client for, I'll give you like an example. I know we're on the cognitive reframing thing. A client was telling me that they are defiant. They're, you know, against their parents, they're defiant. They grew up that way. Mm-hmm. And so most people would say, oh, you bad kid, you're this, you're that. But, you know, what, what I kind of thought was, wow, you have a lot of wherewithal to hold into your own conviction as a child, to hold into your own truth, to say no to adults. You're a very strong, independent person. That's, that's remarkable. Uh, Some of the biggest people of changes have done that as adults and we call them heroes. And so it's all a power. Labels have such a powerful connotation. And the gift that you gave to that person was to flip the switch and to see that weakness or that pathology or that burden as an incredible strength. And I think that's the greatest gift that we could give people is to flip the script and to see themselves as innate strengths and not pathologies or weaknesses or, or burdens. Yeah, that's an amazing switch that could happen. Which I'm sure you talk about a lot in your work and and in your book. And and that's really what this show and the book Awakened by Death is all about too, is seeing that the most unbelievable traumas that we can go through, death being one of them, can be the greatest gifts, can be the greatest transformative experience we ever have. Let's get into your story. I'm sure we've got lots more to chat about, <laughs> judging from the beginning of this conversation. I was reading that bio and I'm like, who's Jacob? Because I'm Jake's. So I don't know who you're talking about. Oh, I could call you Jake, <laughs> like, not Jacob. No, 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 no. You're saying all these nice things. And I'm like, who is that guy? I'm just a, I'm just a dude. You know, I was like, you know, thanks. But you know, like, it's funny when you get out there in the public eye, I was once in upstate New York and I saw a picture of myself and I'm like, you know, it's like on the street, whatever they're advertising some event. And I'm like, really? I'm like, because in my mind, I'm like, whatever, I just go to work, I go home, I eat, I don't, I'm just a dude, whatever. But, you know, when, when sometimes you hear these things, you're like, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't, I, it sounds like someone else, you know, so thank you. Uh, well, that's you. So you were quite young when you had your, how old were you when you had your NDE, when you were near death experience? I was three years old. Very uh, young. Time. Uh, so this was September of 1993, which gives my age away. But um, mm-hmm. it was right before the Jewish high holiday of Yom Kippur, which is a day of atonement to meet the creator. And you're trying to really clean the slate of the year so that you, uh, you go through the book of life and you have a year of health and prosperity. So it's like a year where you are preparing yourself to meet the almighty. Uh, little did I know that that was um, uh, such a different interpretation than what's in my own religion. Uh, you know, it couldn't be more diametrically 
opposite <laughs> of that God. So, but it's interesting. So what happened, Jacob? What happened to you at three years old? Uh, yeah, you have given, you turned 30 last year. Yeah, my this birthday year. is the same day as Shirley MacLaine and Barbara Streisand. It's what April day? 24th. Ah, so not the same year. I'm not like 80 years old. I don't want to like, you know, whatever, but you know. <laughs> Shirley MacLaine but, uh, and Barbara Streisand. There Shirley, you go. Shirley's one of my idols. I I love her guts. You know, you pe people don't speak about her enough, you know, for a Hollywood star to write the book and create the movie out on a limb. This was remarkable. She's a game changer. Uh, look, real, she was a real pioneering, trailblazing icon. Trailblazing, absolutely. I had, oh God, we're getting off the topic. We're trying to get your story out there, but you have yeah, no. podcasts, but we're getting off topic again. But I had this, I had this um, conversation with her in spirit. Uh, and I said to her, what are you doing here? It's a much longer story this. And she said, I'm one of your teachers. And I said, are you? And she said, oh, God, Karen, do you think there was any coincidence that my books were the first books you ever picked up? And I went, oh, no, she's so matter of fact. You say, I'm oh, matter of fact. She's so matter of fact. She, she, she has a lot of Virgo in her chart. If you look right. at I, I, a lot of Virgo in her chart. She's a Taurus, but I, I, do, I looked at her chart. There's a lot of Virgo influence. So that's that served her well with the ability to be grounded and articulate mm -hmm. and detail oriented mm -hmm. and skeptic, you know, as you saw in her yeah. early on where she yeah. needs to have this clear, direct experiences to blow her mind. But she wasn't a cynic, but a, but a student and a bit of a skeptic early on, yeah. you know, in her development. So, and her movie that she made on, of the book, Out on a Limb, is, I think it's free on YouTube. It's old now, but it's still fabulous. It's still wonderful. I've seen it so it. many times. Yeah. yeah, I love it too. Anyway, we're talking, we're talking about you, Jake. Do I call you Jake? <laughs> uh, Jacob or Jake, go figure. The dad in Home Alone was like the spiritual, uh, he was David in that movie, John Hurd, the late oh, John Oh, right, yeah. Was, uh, was, was like the spiritual mystical guy. It's just funny how in different movies people could have such such different roles but yes this is september of 1993 at the time i had pertussis otherwise known as whooping cough which is a highly contagious upper respiratory virus with left untreated you know could be fatal and you know ironically i released my book in this particular time which i don't want to get into specifics but there's parallels you know in a way with what i had and what's happening right now but uh, at the time i went to a playground with family friends um, I went to the playground and I climbed a ladder and at, after each rung of each ladder, my breathing was becoming a lot more belabored and difficult. And at the top of the ladder, going onto a slide, you know, my breath was taken away from me. I began to suffocate. And when I suffocated, each part of my body could no longer operate. And so it's kind of like you take uh, a power breaker in a home and you shut off one unit at a time. You know, my body wasn't working. It's like you try to go into a car and try to work it, nothing was going. And so I basically stepped out of the car to kind of check what was going on or stepped out of my body to kind of see what was happening. You know, in the disembodied state, I was able to understand so much more. Uh, you know, they say we use five to 10% of our brain. And I really, at three years old, I was able to see through and have transparency of my body and all different parts of it from this higher awareness and higher intelligence. And the last part, my body that I looked at it was my brain and I was able to understand each particular component of my brain without going to a neuro program. And then I felt suddenly due to the deprivation of oxygen, my brain literally heard a large crack, like, like, a, like, a, like, a, like, like a lightning sound. It was like the large, large crack that I heard 
this was due to the deprivation of oxygen. It's as if you take a, a plug out of a wall and just yank it as hard as you can. And so once my brain felt like it cracked open, that's when God came in, as a saying would say. And then I raced down this insane tunnel at some insane speed, but this was upwards and upwards, the innermost part of my being with no limitation. Um, and I could feel myself vibrating at an insane speed. And as I was vibrating and soaring, I recognized there was no limitation with how high I could soar, how euphoric I could feel, uh, you know, with, within that. But then I crossed over and I was able to become aware of a palace that was right to the right side of my head. And this palace had an incredible light that I just basically had to shield myself from. And it was right on the right side of my head, which was on top of the slide. And this palace for practical states, I could just say was the palace of the all that ever is and ever was, or what we would view as God. And when I looked at this light, it was this brilliant eternal light that I just basically it was, I was so euphoric and looking at it that I almost had to shield myself and I was able to see angels around this palace, you know, around this domain. And then next moments later, I had a brown and gold kind of ray of, of light and I was able to have this high pitched, high awareness of what I would label as Christ consciousness. It wasn't that Jesus was in front of me. It was like a pitch of the other side or a frequency that I tuned into. It was almost kind of like a sacred sacred high octave weight, uh, um, you know, uh, you know, energy. It's as if in our body, we're used to limitations of, of the body through the bioneurochemical standpoint. When you cross over to the other side, there's these insane octaves that you connect to, and there's just very little limitations. But I understood that Christ consciousness was an incredibly high vibratory, you know, octave that I was connecting to. And I felt quite comforted, you know, within those moments um, and you know obviously I had an inner dialogue where I was worried about leaving my parents that life behind and the trauma the trauma of suffocation that I had and you know that was subsiding as I was in this energy field and moments later my spiritual guides joined me on the slide and they literally I had a male and female guide at the time I knew their name looking back on it I debated but it's not so clear but looking at them they were these huge guides they were just massive and they're most beautiful mystical beings and the second i knew them i was just i felt so stupid for for forgetting them like they were always there with me in the doorway of my heart they were the closest thing to me that i could have my spiritual guides and i saw them coming down with me on the slide and they i was i was pushed down through this energy and then my body lay, laid flatlined moments later people saw my body was irresponsive. I could see that my body was on the ground, but I had a form that was next to my body. And I could tell that I had a shape. And this was my, you know, you, my soul body or electromagnetic field, whatever it is. I couldn't necessarily see it, but I felt, you know, myself that I had a form, that I was aware that other people could see me, but I couldn't see this form. And I could read their thoughts. I could see their auric fields, you know, spirits around them. And I just knew everything about them that I wasn't privy to before, you know, and then moments later when they were calling me, it was the most frustrating experience. I could understand how spirits, um, you know, really uh, try to communicate with us and we don't listen. So there's so much that more that happened. But, you know, if you have any questions about the, the, there's more to it, but I'm sure. I've got a million questions. 
<laughs> I'm never, ask, ask and you shall I'm receive. Never empty of questions. Uh, just the, the logistics. So you had the breathing problem at the top of the slide and you've actually left your body and your body slid down and you're out of your body when you see the body slide down the slide. And, yes. and, and then you're witnessing the little three-year-old. Um, one of the questions I want to ask is about the euphoria and this life, which we talked about in the bio. But another thing I want to say is, you know, what um, Brad, the person who was talking about your book, said that what was fascinating to him was that when you were outside your little three-year-old body, you were no longer a three-year-old. Like you understood yourself as infinite consciousness. Is that right? Is that what you were experiencing? Yeah. Not the mind of a three-year-old. And um... uh, Yeah. To some, that's the most controversial element of my near-death experience. Um, near-death experience in general, they're getting a lot more understanding and universality. Obviously, we said there's a long way to go. But mine is quite unconventional in a sense that I wasn't some person working in a marketing firm. And you know, all of a sudden, I had some crazy you know, shakeup of consciousness or, or, or physical um, uh, kind of kind of experience, you know, that that led to the NDE. You know, this happened at the very onset of this lifetime at three years old. But what I will say to viewers who are confused is, we are not our linear ages. Oh, yeah. we are not our bodies. Yeah, we are not the ego. We mm -hmm. are not this personality that we've developed. Mm -hmm. We are an eternal book that far surpasses this one page that we are identifying with. Mm -hmm we are more than the external portrayal that others have of us in this lifetime. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of us confuse the surface level consciousness Absolutely. and the temporary kind of form that we have in this body in this lifetime, in this one particular page or chapter, we are eternal book. And so I understood that this experience you know, I, it's almost I'm like I'm looking at it like today it was a full blown soul experience and the soul yeah. is something that you carry with you forever. It's not limited by any age. I just think the ability to articulate, to integrate it, to externalize the soul or the guitar and the music player being in harmony takes time, you know. Absolutely. And we're so hypnotized with the whole age thing, uh, especially women who worry about getting older like me. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, I love, I love that because, you know, people that are awake in the dream, awake in the body, don't see people as their age. They see people as their soul. Um, mm -hmm. They don't even see people as their experience or lack of experience on this, in this physical earth, in this particular lifetime. They see the eternity of the experience of the soul and relate through that relating rather than through age relating. I, I remember as a kid looking at parents, adults, and thinking how stupid they all were. <laughs> <laughs> still are yeah <laughs> <laughs> and only wanted to hang out with my peer age group you know like and, and so many of us do that we want to hang out with our lots of people go around and interestingly enough I attract a lot of people into my clients and and the show that are around my age which I find interesting but not all um the very old and the very young and yeah we're all just a soul we are not our age that is just yeah. We're not our bodies, not you know, our bodies, we are not, not consciousness produced by the body. So this was a full-blown experience of the soul. And so the chain of events never changed. I was able to understand it from a much broader vantage point of the soul. 
uh, the ability to integrate it and to make sense of it and to have a language for it for an adult is a challenge. When you think of these terms on the other side, it's it's a challenge for an adult. And so for me, you know, I followed conventional research, which they'll say an infant or a child when they have an NDE takes around 20 to 30 years to, to integrate. And I can attest that it took me around 20 years to process this. I kept it quite buried. It was there, but almost kind of like a beach ball that you try to bog down to fit in. Eventually I was just like, oh, screw it up. It just had to come up. I couldn't, you know, run, run and hide from it anymore. And I think to survive, I needed to do that for a bit of time. But to thrive, I needed to to be honest and truthful with this. And I, I hope that that's the case for all seekers, is to live their truth, you know, and not someone else's version of what they want you to be. So, yeah, absolutely. When you were telling the story of it, I just got you know, intense training. It was like you were going through an intense training at three years old. Yeah. I, yeah. I had an 88-year-old on the show last, last week, speaking of age, and she said that she never went to school or university here in the physical world, but she had her star mentors teaching her all the time. So she said, I went to the universe city, and I just loved that, the university. Free, free tuition. <laughs> you don't have to worry about term papers or your research. And, you know, it's just so interesting, the term education. Because um, after this, there was a society that tried to get me to turn into something in order to be something. They tried to program my intellect. And this was very much a society that was based on intellect, it was based on information. It wasn't ever a society that said, you have the answers inside of you. It wasn't a society that said, right. to be the embodiment of yourself. It said, you have to work to these things to be a full expression of that. And, you know, and so it was a lot more focused on, you know, what we are doing than what we are, than who we are being. And, and so, you know, you almost had to do all these things to become something. And what I learned in my near-death experiences, we're chasing all these things, but we already are eternal. We are that sacred soul. We don't need any of these things. We're just here to express the beauty that is inside to bring in, you know, we are, we're here to bring heaven down to earth, but I think we are heaven down here on earth, if that makes sense. We are heaven on earth. Yeah. You're a part of heaven on earth, but uh, it's fascinating. But I think the ultimate education is, I could agree with, with, with that person is, at least for me, that experience from the other side and, and, and subsequently, you know, being able to channel information and to have that guided. Because I think in our society, we're taught to do it on ourselves. And we're taught to be Mr. and Mrs. Atlas. And once we surrender, there's great power that could come not from us, but through us, from much greater sources of intelligence and wisdom and guidance than our limited consciousness in our body could ever have. Absolutely, Jacob. Absolutely. You spoke about the frequency of the Christ consciousness. I love that. The the what did you call it? You call it frequency. You called it a bandwidth, the frequency, right? Uh, a pitch, a pitch. A non-Wi-Fi frequency. A non-Wi-Fi frequency. It was like that. Verizon and on steroids. <laughs> what was like what on steroids? Verizon on steroids. Verizon, I guess, in the US is like the top tier you know internet connection and, and phone oh connection. oh oh okay okay yeah top top, top connection top Verizon, four plus five plus bars right 
So. And the euphoria of it. And, and everyone talks about the euphoria of the other side. And, um, and obviously, you've heard many NDEs. There's many different experiences of the other side. There's just not one place we go. There's different frequencies and dimensions and experiences we can all have. Uh, in our training, I think that all NDEs are training, really, uh, intense training. Have you felt that you same euphoria much, uh, you know, being back in your physical body, that same frequency, that same, have yeah. you felt that? Yes. Um, in, in one of the chapters in, in Life After Breath, I speak about an out-of-body experience that happened, you know, almost 20 years after my near-death experience, which really came out of nowhere. And I woke up and I was literally out of my body and I'm thinking, oh, Lord, here we go again, you know, kind of thing. But, you know, it was like something out of a movie. I, I, you know, I was meditating, I practiced, but I never had this before. And literally for several weeks, I was looking down, you know, out of my body and I could feel that when I would speak, I would feel the vibrations. I would be able to feel my own elements, such as water, such as fire, such as, you know, air, I would be able to connect to all the elements. And, you know, it's all the things that I learned about, but I had the, you know, direct uh, experience of it again, in the body. And for whatever reason, I think within our chart period, sometimes we're meant to have these eye opening experiences, you know, ultimately, if we were to have it all the time, then we would be over there and not here. I think sometimes mm -hmm. we have to have a bit of the human part and sometimes that part is, you know, forgotten so that we're able to really evolve and recenter. And, mm -hmm. you know, we're not immune. I think no one's immune from the human part. We're not a constant climactical experience. We go through ups and downs of, of being in the body and what comes with it. And sometimes the forgetfulness that could happen within moments and how challenges allow us to really rise to the occasion and, and dig into a deeper gear, you know, than before. But this experience happened in a synagogue around that same time, 20 years later in the month of September, you know, around the time of Yom Kippur. And usually synagogues were places where I felt quite restricted. I never felt comfortable in the suit or tie or I, I hated it. I, for me, as you could tell, I'm a Levi's t-shirt and jeans guy. That's my comfort zone. But um, when I was sitting in the chair, I literally left my body and I tuned into my animal totem and I literally flew around the room and I could feel wings coming out of my chest, like, like through the sides of it by my shoulders. And I felt myself lifting out of body and joining my totem. And I could see looking down of the one strand of energy that connected every participant in the room. And for me, I always was taught that we are one, but it just goes the ear out the other. It's like, you know, it's, it's nice when you have the direct experience and the validation right in front of you. And that was amazing as well as being able to really access this intense energy within myself, you know, through the elements and third eye explosion. And this was, I, I personally, I don't know which one, if you ask me, you have the NDU, you have the OB, which one I'm like, either or Michael Jordan, LeBron James, I'm fine. You know, that's, that's cool. <laughs> tomato, tomato, you know, you're so. quoting all these American things that I don't know. <laughs> Oh, no, 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 no. Okay, okay. Let me. Michael Jordan, I heard of. LeBron James, I think he's some sort of. LeBron James is a, you know, one of the greatest basketball players of all time. Okay. Michael Jordan. When you say that you're the Michael Jordan of, that means you are the best of your okay. possible things. So. 
So you've had the you've had the euphoric experience, but only when you've left the body. You haven't had it in the body, like just in daily life, bipping along, driving the car, washing the dishes. <laughs> when I got my book contract, that was one of the closest things I could have. Not to blow you know what up at my publisher, but you know, getting that, I was about to board a plane. You know, is just a reference for taking off, and right, I was about to board the plane. I got this notification. Uh, you know, from from an agent that I got accepted. So that was, that was it. But, you know, for me, I find that when I'm very grounded, I'm still able to feel that intensity. We have a saying um, you know, that, that I was taught within my practice that many times for us to feel balanced, we need to balance our, our elements of energy. And so when we're thinking too much, we have a hothead or fire in the head. Mm -hmm. When we're relaxed, we're cool headed. And when mm -hmm. we're confident, we have a fire in the belly. And so mm -hmm. from the body, I look at the body as a great opener's energy, not something that you avoid to, but rather the body, I think, as an access to really integrate, you know, this heightened energy as, you know, I think all of us are these infinite souls here in the finite body. We have the ability to integrate that. So I do a lot of you know, different self-induced healing techniques to bring down a lot of that fire into the core. So then ultimately- right. You could be able to speak from the fire within. And know. when you have a fire in your base chakra, that might be a different experience. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, you know, I'm a big believer in balancing you know, energy and having uh, an open heart, an open mind, and an open and connected gut. I think those are big energy centers that I try to work on. I was having a conversation yesterday, but I was on a bit of a road trip with, um, I have a girlfriend who teaches CAP. Um, it was developed by an Australian, Chinese Australian man, and it's Kundalini, it's CAP, C-A-P, Kundalini activation process. And he's, um, you know, getting people to, it's, it's, I'm not going to go into it, but it's like bringing that fire that we have in our base chakra, you know, up through the, all the other chakras so that, it sort of is invigorating all the energy centers, you know, Kundalini, as, as many people have. have. Have you had a Kundalini experience, Jay? I mean, I would say somewhat, you know, in my practice, we do something called Sleeping Tiger, which essentially I speak about this in my Sleeping book, tiger. where you put your legs up, put your arms up and you lie on your back. And so from that experience, literally I could do Sleeping Tiger and it would be no difference if I was sleeping or if my legs up. In a sense, there was this energy that was holding me up. At first, when you try to do it, you shake, you vibrate, you cramp up. You're like, what is this? But eventually, when you're connected to that powerhouse, you know, that's your that's your center. That's your power center. And everything was just floating. And I kind of, you know, my body was just elevated and held up like as, as if I was on a pillow or a cloud that was holding up my whole body. And I, I would do this frequently. And, yeah. you know, it's been a while since I've done this, but... I'd say that's like my closest thing when I was able to just lift my legs and arm in the head almost in the air. And literally I would feel like I was sleeping on the most comfortable pillow. Mm, you know, beautiful. Pretty crazy. You know, as you were describing that frequency of the Christ consciousness, that pitch, I love the way you call it a pitch. I was thinking that bandwidth, that Wi-Fi bandwidth, that pitch, that frequency is the frequency that higher dimensional beings, some have uh, recognized them as extraterrestrials, that's their default setting. Like that's their normal. Whereas for us humans, we're like 
reaching for it, grasping for it. We're like, we're trying to get there. And we're doing things like sleeping tiger and cap sessions and yoga sessions and meditation and hypnotherapy. You know, we're so <laughs> trying to find this default, that default setting that they live in. You know, they have that understanding of unconditional love and unity with all. And, uh, and, and it just excites me, Jake, to think that when humanity at large rises to that bandwidth to that pitch as their default pitch what is possible for human for planet earth and for the human yeah. collective it just you it know, just excites me to think about that might not happen in my lifetime but it'll happen <laughs> i think in a way i look at the micro you know our body who we are as no different than the macro we are all connected and so much like we come into this body with this infinite soul to try to transcend it. I think on a collective, we try to transcend the planet. And so, so that the body and the soul are not at war with each other, but rather the inside overrules the outside so that we're able to live from the inside out versus the outside having more of, um, of a weight over the inside. And if we're able to do that, we're able to reawaken a new earth. You know, from a heightened sense of connectivity, we're bringing heaven down to earth from that, from each person's connection with the in and the out, so that they're not at war with another, but rather within this body, the inside is what we connect to, so that we can connect to the outside. So not that we're ignoring the inside, and we're connected to the outside, if that makes sense. And we think we're oh, here absolutely. to live from within. Absolutely, because it's all... The jewel you're looking for is in your own pocket, as it has been said. It's all within us. Everything we're looking for is within us. I was having a fabulous conversation with Michael Tamora as a guest teacher. Um, you might like to come in as a guest teacher into my uh, online groups. Each month I invite someone for the show to come in and chat to my I, little I tribe. It would be a lifelong uh, honour, my friend. Just sign me up. Where? Uh, sign still delivered. Sign Let me up. Know. We could talk about cognitive... cognitive as much as I teach this stuff, I don't have all the lingo. Cognitive, what did you call cognitive it? Cognitive reframing. Reframing, because it's yeah. actually what I do in my sessions with people, but I just didn't have that label. It, it's funny how we like have these complex terms for things that are so simple to us. You know? <laughs> we, like, we could talk I'm, about that. I talk about that all the time, I have I'm to say. but H2O, or I could say I'm drinking water. We're doing the same thing. Exactly. Who cares? You know, like... Yeah, yeah. M Michael, I know you're talking about different levels of different levels of uh, soul evolution as we are here physically on earth. And he was talking about at the end of the second le level or, or the third level, he, he taught about like a clock face, like a, a quarter. He said that people are starting to wake up to life is not about what we can get, but what we can find within ourselves. They're just starting to sort of, it's starting to dawn on them. And I think that that is the audience that I'm attracting. So many people think that I'm going to feel good when my book comes it's out. A <laughs> or when. A checklist for when we allow ourselves to, to when, feel good, you know, so. And something that he said that hit me and it hit many people because I put up the highlights on my uh, show is that that time in your life, that, that evolutionary time is a time when life doesn't work for you like it works for everybody else. You know, the success doesn't come, the money doesn't come, the lover doesn't come, the baby doesn't come. And so you're bumping up against the traumas in your life 
and looking to overcome the traumas so that you can feel better. But life is actually saying feeling better or getting what you want is within, which is what you were saying. It's like all within you. It's that connection to your soul. It's that evoking that energy that you are and seek that and not to the outside circumstance. So that's what we're playing with in that sort of second and third evolutionary process, which is, I see it all the time. I see it in my own life, which is difficult because when stuff happens and we're upset, we think this happened in my life, therefore that's making me upset. Or when stuff happens and we're euphoric, this happened in my life, therefore I'm euphoric, rather than seeing that our emotional state is all about how we flow our energy and how we connect to the internal soul or wisdom or light or whatever. It's it's an inner choice. And isn't it amazing how... We have people who have everything and they have nothing and people have nothing who have everything, you know? So exactly, it's, 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 it's a choice. Um, And that's the power of the, of the, of the inner game that we have, that inner connection. At three years old, I had this euphoric experience and, you know, I recognize that it's all within our backyard and Buddha, for instance, was the same thing when you grew up, you know, as a prince and he had that lifestyle, but it wasn't conducive. He, it wasn't stimulating. And he chose another gear, another dimension, another palace with, within himself versus the outer palace. And and right. so I think there's nothing wrong, obviously, with the material. But, you know, when we get too caught up with it, you know, that becomes a problem. Because I think how we view ourselves is the biggest vantage point with its influential point on how we'll view our life. The moment we see ourselves as beyond a physical being, we see ourselves as a soul and that comes with so much. But I learned from my experience in a playground that we are all our brothers and sisters keepers. We are all just children in God's playgrounds here to play on this earth and we are responsible for one another. And I think really people have a hard time with that because they identify with such things that are so meaningless and they have no weight and they are not reflective of who we are, the age, the body, the income, the 401k, and all these things are so temporary. And so the soul doesn't want to take, it wants to have a ripple effect. It wants to have something that it can leave this world behind, you know, and, you know, and experiences that it can take with it. And that's what it wants. And I think what I learned through my near-death experience was the illusion of finite, from looking at the inner depths of finite, when you think of that, you think of suffocation, you think of death. And from looking at that in its eye, I was able to see the great shadow of the eternal light behind it, mm-hmm. you know, that was there. And so I think that really, you know, for people who have experiences that happens on a, mm. on a different level, you know. I've just had a, I just had a drop, a download. Download, um, yeah. You, you were from, thinking, or from, an insight, from, an insight, download. I, fa- insight. I, found, I found infinite, I found the infinite behind the illusion of finite. And, um, you know, I, I think really that gave me an understanding that this world is just merely an illusion. The illusion is not the other side. That's, that's, that's the real. I was taught that this thing is not a human thing, but a spiritual thing, not reserved for deities or, but that's all our phyla. And so I think part of this is getting past the illusion of the the material so that we can remember who we are, what we're forever connected to, and to have windows without walls with our connectivity to our fellows, brothers, and sisters. Say that again, windows without walls. Well, that's a Rumi quote. If you're familiar with Rumi, 
poet, he would talk about windows without walls, just clear connectivity, connectivity. clear sight, clear awareness without as any he, barriers. As you were talking, the drop, the, the in, insight was the, the finite and the infinite. So yeah. to find the infinite, you have to go in. It's like insight. You have to go in to have the sight. It's like incurable. Wow. To order to find the cure, you have to find it in. It's all pointing in. All these words are sort of pointing inside us. So it, the well, word what you itself... need to do is to get that statement copywritten. Because no. I find when I do these talks, I listen to someone else. I'm like, didn't I say that three weeks ago? <laughs> <laughs> like there's one talk that I heard. It must be we're connected to like a similar kind of thing. As even, you know, and so it takes away originality in a way, because we're all connected to a same type of download. We get that. But I, I was, I kept on saying in every interview that, that there was a macro near death experience that we're all having. Like, you know, the, the world is having an NDE in a sense that yeah. the finite reality of the body is being expedited. It's being sped up. That's nothing new, right. With, with all these people concerned about, you know, this past year and everything that happened, whatever your viewpoint on, on it, and so I think that's a very valuable place to have. We're able to face our existence in this lifetime head on and not just cruise with life, but rather live it from a deeper purpose. But I think in a way, the whole world is having a near-death experience where for so many different perspectives, the world that they had is you know, in rehabilitation is jeopardized and they have to almost go into another gear to exist and to live and to have oxygen. And you know, I think that's what's happening where much like I was suffocated in my NDE, people are just through what's happening on a larger perspective or in a smaller perspective, people sometimes feel out of breath, out of air, fatigue. And so when that happens to survive and thrive, you have to be able to tune into another gear and that is within. So uh, I yeah. think that's happening on a larger scale today. Absolutely. Uh, the world, yeah, the world is going through a near-death experience. It, it, absolutely. absolutely. Um, somebody else said that on my show recently too. Uh, you, you know, you're talking about Wayne Dyer before. Wayne Dyer was uh, classically no known for this story where he was at a radio station being interviewed and everyone at the station was really upset because the station was closing down. And they're all losing their jobs. So he came into this radio station and everyone's in upset. They're all pissed off because they're all losing their jobs. Cognitive reframing. So here's Wayne doing his cognitive reframing. Again, he's a doctor, right? You know, he's got a psychology background, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. And that's uh, my new favorite word. <clears throat> my favorite, my favorite word from Michael was um, the divine. Oh God, I've forgotten it already. The divine choreography is what he said when he died he saw the divine choreography well when he was dying we should title this talk cognitive reframing and then we'll have the american psychological association like tuning <laughs> into this stuff in my he was going he was going around talking to all these people who were so upset and he was doing his cognitive reframing and he said to one guy if you didn't have this full-time job, what would you be doing? And he said, oh, I had written this uh, play or movie or orchestra, something, he'd written something and he'd, for years he'd wanted to get it happening, but he just didn't because he went to work every day and, you know, to pay the bills. And, uh, and he said, just think about this as an opportunity to like 
finally live your passion and live your desire. Instead of being upset, oh, my God, I'm losing my job. He's like, oh, my God, I have this amazing opportunity. So he was doing that with everyone in the station. He was turning it from this flipping is the, the switch. Flipping yeah. the switch. And this guy that he spoke to did, he went on to write some, I can't remember what it was. I've listened to the story. I forget the details, but he wrote some opera or something that went on to be really well known and famous. And had he not been fired from his job, his day job, that would never have happened. So if only we could see the troubles in our lives as opportunities for something else, something new, something more possible. And just like you said, the world's going through a near death experience people losing their jobs, people getting sick, people going through death. Uh, it's all opportunities to have a cognitive reframing. And, right. and, and to see things differently and to have that slight shift, much like I looked at, you know, suffocation in those moments within one moment, you know, the, the most, you know, lowest vibratory level of suffering was turned into the most euphoric element. And so those things are always there, but we have to be able to open up our minds and our inner visions to be able to see that. And once we see that, we embody that, we attract that, and we Absolutely. live that. And I Absolutely. think in a way it's for people, it's, you could sit and wallow and stuff like that, but ultimately that's going to be your vision and stuff like that. And then be able to slightly make a slight shift and everything. Change. What I love about Wayne, I speak about this in my book, is when he passed away, I was never a follower of him. In a Why? sense, I just thought he was some hey house guy who was born under some rainbow in maui that i just couldn't relate to he was just so no. he was in this world but not of this world he and he was but when he passed away you know he lived a couple of minutes from me in long island for right. x amount of years and he taught it at a college you know mm -hmm. locally so his mm -hmm. his stuff is still here his energy is very much still strong here mm -hmm. but he said i'm gonna i'm going to be helping you with your book and guiding you and i'm like say what like me like who am i for you to be helping me like i'm like this is very self-aggrandizing, like for me to think that Wayne Dyer would waste his time, even as a near-death experiencer. And then um, a couple moments later, you know, a couple, you know, you know, a couple months later, whatever, I have, I was doing a YouTube interview with Trisha Barker on her show, mm -hmm. and I have someone who who looked at the video, and she goes, "You're, I'm going to make you a star. I'm going to be your guy." And she basically tried to do what. You know, Usher did with Justin Bieber. We found him on YouTube and tried to make him into a star. And so Wayne was behind her in writing her book. And Wayne was behind and helped out Anita Morjani, who endorsed my book. And so you see how things work where Wayne helped out someone and they helped the next person and spirit works through them. It's just Absolutely. amazing. But one thing I loved about Wayne is, you know, he, he does this with so many people. He just connects strings. Brilliant. But after every talk, he would get an email from someone who says, I really didn't like what you said. It offended me. It wasn't that great. I thought you were this and you're that. After every time, this is the great Wayne Dyer. And what he would say was, my mind is clear. My heart is pure. My intentions are real. And after that, I'm, I'm not responsible for what people make of my words. That's the ultimate freedom I could give to people. And I think that's so powerful because so many people hold themselves back from worrying about what family member would say what, what YouTuber would say what. And we're all focused on that instead of having the, the incredible ripple effect with the infinite possibilities of putting our highest intentions out there. And so that's, that's, that's that was amazing words from him. So. I want to just um, confirm, reiterate what you just said, because when you started talking about Wayne, he showed up and he said to me, I'm guiding him. 
I'm one of his guides. And then in the next breath, you said, he said to me, I'm guiding you with your book. And I'm like, <laughs> that's why I'm going. <laughs> like, what I love yeah. about him is, is he was so honest. Like he would take a book, like so for beautiful. instance, when Anita's book came or other authors, he would like take it and like throw it against the wall. You, you know, when you write like 40 books and you get like a book that's not up to par, he'll rip it apart. He was a great editor, but so many of the great books that we see, he was so he was so behind, and he did it with the way of humor and brilliance and, and compassion. But he was just above this. And he would wake up at around three o'clock in the morning and do his writing, and that's when he was most open. He would recommend other people to do that, but you know, not everyone had that gear. He he was just made of a different kind of ilk than a lot of people. He he, he just was. So he was special. Jake, do you chat with him in spirit? Do you have that sort of, uh, you know, all awareness? the time? Yeah, all the time. What I love about Wayne is we both like tennis. Like he was a tennis player. He was an athlete. But he's also hilarious. Like people forget. Like he's a funny dude. Like he's yeah. very down. He's, he's like a very. We also have a competitive nature where we like to one up people. So like as a joke, like uh, you know, when he would write a book, people would say this is that. He would say, oh, you know what? That's nice, but I have. 40 bestsellers you know stuff like that like he, right. he was very very joking with but meant, meant it in a good way so I gravitate to that very genuine very real personality and anyone who could laugh and not take themselves seriously is my kind oh, of person absolutely I've got so much to say <laughs> I think that we, way. we have too many tightwads in this planet it's, it's insane you said that he lives up the road from you and you didn't really tune into him until he left his body did you have any thought of regret that you didn't meet him better physically when he was well, this, this this was in his younger days um what uh -huh. was interesting was he was at a, a school that he talks about called saint john's university which is okay you know a private college around 25 30 minutes away from me he was about to get tenure but there was this other calling in him that wanted to write this book and he said i don't want tenure which is like turning down the lot you know it's like every professor's dream right. then he got his own parking spot his own office and he said no and i don't want there's something else in me that, that needs to happen. So this is very early on before he boomed. He literally closed the door in a hotel room. And I think he wrote, I think it was Erroneous Zones, which was a bestseller. Yeah. Again, that's about cognitive behavioral therapy, Erroneous Zones, that mm -hmm. book. Mm -hmm. Wayne started off very much psychological. And then yeah. afterwards, he got spiritual psychotherapeutic and very much up there, you know, as he kind of took that hat off a bit more. But um, definitely, he, he grew up, he lived, maybe 10, 15 minutes away from me. And then, you know, most of his life, I think he was in Boca Raton and Maui and stuff like that. So he lived there before you lived there. So, cause you're a lot younger than him. So before you, cause I, I, I saw him speaking in Sydney years ago and um, uh, I have regret. He was standing, he was standing at his books, you know, out in the hallway, out in the big sort of hallway, cause we're in a big conference center. And I was walking, we were walking towards him, my, my girlfriend and I, and he was looking at us smiling. And I was young, we were young. And I said, look, there he is. There's that guy that was on stage speaking, you know. And we both did a right turn and like walked in the different direction and went to a cafe and sat down. We both sat down, looked at each other and we said, why did we do that? Like instead of walking up to him and hugging him and saying, oh, you were amazing, thank you so much, we just didn't take that opportunity to meet him oh because we were thinking we don't want to seem like silly fans or, you know, we had some ego BS going yeah. on and we both you're, 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 you're going to kill me, but <laughs> undoubtedly he would have given you his, his time. 
Oh, absolutely. He was standing there and no one was around him because it was before he was like big and he was standing there alone, smiling at us as we were approaching. And then we walked in another direction. But what he he said on stage, I just want what he said on stage just changed my life. And it was this, he was this sort of, it might've been after that experience, another experience where I saw him talk on stage. He's this big guru talking, talking to like thousands of people. And he's talking about his kids berating him for not being the spiritual guru because he said he was rampaging around the house looking for his keys, yelling and screaming, <laughs> where are my keys, where are my keys? And one of his daughters put her hands on her hips and said, if only if your kids, you know, your fat followers could you see the big talk, guru yeah. now, you know. And it, he was saying this on stage and it, everyone cracked up laughing. And to me... The way that he could joke about himself not being the like um sort of exactly. all the time just made me feel so much more comfortable just being human. Do you know what I mean? And that just spoke volumes to me at that stage. Yeah. You know, and I think this is a quality of an old soul where they're comfortable with themselves. They don't take right. themselves too seriously. Right. But have right. you found that when someone is comfortable with who you who they are, you feel comfortable with being who you are? exactly it's like an op- it's like an ocean it's very mm-hmm. open whereas mm-hmm. people are very tight watered you you measure and you get tripped up and you judge you know it's like i was watching Teresa caputo on you know a couple of years ago she was on anderson cooper show and you could tell the, the energy of the crowd was skeptical and mm-hmm. it seemed like there was like a skeptical nature and as, and as incredibly gifted as she is you could tell that she was thrown off her game a bit she wasn't you know on her game and had nothing to do with you know, whatever you, you know, and so I think in a way, no matter how much you have inside of you, if you're around someone or an energy that's just very dense and not inviting, you know, that throws you off. It gets, yeah. it gets in your head, you know, and so mm-hmm. my biggest goal is as a therapist is just to be real and raw and comfortable because nothing makes me smile more than other people just letting go and being themselves. I, I think that that's great. And everyone talks about life purpose, life purpose, and as if, you know, that was just in front of some crowd speaking for thousands of people and being the Dalai Lama. I think in a way, some of our life's purpose is just to be you. Cause as Mr. Rogers would say, no one could be you like you, you know, it's no true. Could be you like you, you know, <laughs> again, you, quoting some American. Itself, so. I do know who Mr. Rogers is, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm throwing a lot of American <laughs> days, but you know, it's true. I think the closest thing I have to perfection is being true to yourself. I, no one could do that like you. What were you going to say when I interrupted you with the rest of my Wayne story? You said, oh, my God, and you're about to say something. No, no, no. I just know countless people that he would talk in the hallway with, and oh, yeah. they became friends with them. Oh, yeah. And he was, he, he just wanted to just be like everyone else. He didn't yeah, want to totally. be anything out there, which, which is a segue to, you know, the rest of the part with my near-death experience where my body was laying flatlined and literally I looked up and I saw hundreds and thousands of angels. And these were childlike angels literally in front of me. And they were brown and gold kind of color. And at the moment, you know, I still had still some doubt. I'm like, I thought I was just making this up, but there was a filter and it was right in front of me. And it was just an endless sea of angels. And they were sending, you know, energy to the situation. Mm. And, you know, moments later I had my soul family join me and, between them and my spirit guides, I was posed a question as to what I would do, you know, within this experience, if I would stay on the other side with them or if I would stay in my body, you know, and then I said, well, if I do stay in my body, what is going to happen? You know, what would this life be? What is this about? And so mm-hmm. 
I knew I had a moment, an instant moment to make that question, but I went out on a limb, no pun intended, and I, and I asked that question. And they showed me different imagery of different lifetimes that I had in different existences. The most close to existence was a lifetime in which I committed suicide. And I was like a big kind of figure and a teacher. And I just hit rock bottom. I took my own life. Wow. And which really in many ways relates to the NDE in so many ways in my charting period. But then I saw myself in this lifetime speaking in front of people and being a healer. And much like Wayne, when I saw myself speaking in front of a crowd, it's not that I felt superior or just some pompous guru in front of people. It was that I was one with the energy. Right. And I think, you know, the most isolating experience that we could have is when we feel above something or separate from something. That's not a, that's not a good feeling. That's a very low vibratory feeling. Right. And so I was one with the message, one with the energy. And I said, as beautiful as the other side is bringing the other side down to earth is a unique window that I have. And I, and I couldn't say no to that. And within that thought, you know, everything dissipated and I was, you know, and I was about to wake up in a hospital bed before I just asked, how do I know that this vision will come true? You know, my guides really told me to really watch your thoughts because those are the direct implication of the life that you'll live. They are you know, indeed our greatest superpower of how high we'll soar or how diverted we'll be from our life path. And in that moment, I woke up on a hospital bed. And to this day, I remember it. My mother told me that I ran around the room after a little bit and I kicked my doctor. I was so angered by the insane transition from being on the other side to now in a cold hospital bed that between the trauma suffocation, between all these experiences, I had so much pent up emotion in me. Mm -hmm. It just manifested itself as anger where I just almost felt like I would be on the red carpet interviewed on, you know, Nash, you know, international television, like Oprah or something like that. And instead I was, you know, on the hospital bed, but thank God for that doctor that saved my life. And my brother who also caught it a couple of days after me joined me as well too in the hospital mm -hmm. with this virus, but he didn't, at least I know he hasn't told me that he didn't have to happen to have an NDE. An but, NDE. Uh, when you were talking about uh, being given that choice, uh, a decision, uh, a yeah. decision, decision, you're going to stay, you're going to go. Yeah, I got this like given a choice point, choice point, another choice point. And then you and then you say that you saw in a past life that you had made a decision to like, no, nah, I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah, you made a choice like nah, too hard, out of here. So they were giving you that choice again. What are you going to do now? Like terrible situation you're going to stay you're going to go what are you going to do it's that beauty of giving us that choice i love that we have this ultimate ultimate choice in what we do with our lives like when i was watching the da vinci code there was something where he says this is god's power here on earth and i remember turning to my husband at the time and i said what do you think god's power here on earth is and he's like i don't know i don't know and to me it is that decision it is that choice it's like our choices and what we think our choices in our perspective and our perception, our choices is our power here on earth. It's yeah. It's a great superpower. And superpower. I, I learned to choose yes to life, to choose yes. yes to given, to choose yes, you know, to something that to me what was more comfortable was being over there. What was more impactful was being right here in this body. Exactly. You no, know, was more euphoric, was over there. But to me, what was more impactful was bring that euphoria down to here. And that unique window, that unique experience, I'm very grateful for, although it was a double-edged sword. And I get a lot more into that in my book, where what life was like having that experience and 
you know, the, the, the timeline of it and how that impacted my development. Um, I think that's very important. And the reason why I, I, I got so personal in my book was not to give myself a pat on the back or self-congratulatory kind of things, but rather, like we said, for other people to take ownership of their experiences. If all I'm known when I leave this planet is an NDE guy, I haven't done my job. Now, if I'm known for other things and if other people are to, able to hear my story and then be able to take ownership of their own eternity, then that's beautiful. But if you just listen to my story and that's what you're defined by, that's a religion. That's not spirituality. <laughs> well, people will notice in this conversation, we've spoken very little about the NDE and we've spoken yeah. a lot about all of other things, which is kind of that's, great. That's the uh, goal. <laughs> um, but what I wanted to say, okay, I've forgotten my, my train of thoughts. I've got so many questions going through my mind. I've got to pick one as they pass through. Pick one. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, I, I wanted to say, I wanted to ask you about the next book. Oh, yeah, there's the question. There it is. When you were experiencing your past lives, did you experience any lives in other dimensions and other planets and other worlds? It's a wonderful question. Not, I have to be completely transparent. The closest thing to another dimension, I would say, was this lifetime that I had within Atlantis. That was right. something other different, you know, that was, that, was, that was different than this dimension. Mm -hmm. But in a sense, and I speak about this in Life After Breath, when I had my near-death experience, we have this physical reality and if you ever watch Stranger Things, there's this alternative reality to this earth. And so mm -hmm. there's this overlaying stratosphere of this planet with the same kind of things, but they're amplified. Mm -hmm. And so when I had this, I was traveling country to country all over the globe within different lifetimes spanning the entire planet. But it was an overlaying of this earth. And it was just kind of like this earth on steroids. And so that's, and on the other side, my viewpoint is there's different layers. And the more that it just has this light being, you know, the more of a higher octave it is and the more dense it is, the more it's kind of closer to this planet. Mm -hmm. But um, I would say within my past lives, I was able to span it. But what's interesting about the other side is a lack of dimensions and a lack of front, back, side, left, mm -hmm. right. You know, it's all just this, when you think of eternity, it's not just time, it's just infinite reality. It's an There's orchestra no of different, different frequencies. It. Yeah, yeah. And uh but what I'd say, is it all the way over there? It's beyond this planet, beyond comprehension, and it's here at the same time. Yes. You know, I've learned, obviously, seeing the angels right in front of me, they're right here, like mm -hmm. right overlaying this reality. Right. You just simply tune up, you know, the radio dial a little bit and yeah. boom, right there in front of you, yeah. uh, you know, on a, on, on a filter right above this overlay. Yeah. It's right here. <laughs> It's so all it's energy and information vibrating at different frequencies. It's uh, somewhat similar to a fan. When it's going slowly, you can see it clearly. So we operate. That's an awesome analogy. Low yeah. frequency. And when you speed up the fan, it disappears. So their energy is so fast that we can't see it with our physical eyes. But wow. if we raise our vibration to meet their vibration, we start to see them more clearly. Um, whether we do that with our third eye or our right. physical eyes. Uh, another question. So have you explored, because you do hypnotherapy in past lives, have you explored any of your um, galactic lives or any other people's galactic lives or do you just do earth lives? Do you just explore earth lives? I stick with the boring stuff. It's but not boring. I, earth is not boring. To I'm the sorry. cosmos, earth is the I, most exciting show no, in the no, universe. No, no, no. I, not, not yet, but okay. it's, it's, it's definitely something that's pondered my mind. 
I think the biggest separating component with spirituality and religion is the open-endedness and the exploration of it. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's so exciting where, you know, I had this experience and I went to the other side, but, I, you know, it's a small glimpse of it. Mm -hmm. It's a small glimpse of eternity. Yeah. And I don't think we could ever have a full possessiveness of it all. We could have glimpses and understanding on our own levels of, of, of consciousness, you yeah. know? And so the, the constant ability to look at life through different lenses and explore on a regular basis, I think that's just so exciting. That's life itself. It's a constant unfoldment totally. of eternal awareness and eternal expanded consciousness. I yeah. think death to me is once you have a closed interpretation of something, it has no room to grow. It's, it's, it's flatlined. Mm -hmm. yeah. So before we close, I'd like to chat about your next book. So you work as a hypnotherapist and you uh, explore past lives, people's past lives. Do you do, what sort of hypnotherapy do you do? Do you do, do you take them back to their soul's perspective as in QHHT or do you just, uh, when I say just, are you kind of hopping through past I, lives? I do in utero as well too. Mm -hmm. So the life in between life. Mm -hmm. I do past lives. I do higher selves. Mm -hmm. I do communication with loved ones on the other side, mm -hmm. and opening up awareness. And, you know, so these are some of the factors that I have within, you know, past life regression, but within hypnosis, I do things that are just very much of this of this earth kind of things just mm -hmm. cigarette sensation weight loss confidence boosting oh okay you know, so, yeah i, so I love ver hypnosis what i love about it is so versatile mm -hmm. it's like you're trying to do something but you're just hitting that wall and you don't know why and it's a great way to break through well you, you i've know. got one of those jake i might reach out to you for some help i've got a brick wall that i've been trying to get through i was like and I've got total access to my guides and all the ascended masters and dead people and everything, but I still hit this little brick wall. So I um, might just reach out to you for some help. Please do. And you, I think you must it's have had getting a point of entry. Point yeah. of entry. You must have so many experiences that you've, you know, gained through your work. What's your second book about? Are you putting those experiences in the second book or what are you talking about in the second book? I have no idea. No. Oh, you haven't <laughs> no, 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 no. My second book is um, my experience happened on a ladder, much like Jacob from the Bible, like Jacob's ladder. In Genesis, you know, Jacob had this dream where angels were going up and down the ladder. It sounds too good. To, you know, people just don't believe me because of so many of these things that are just feels too good to be true. But my next book is on different rungs of the ladder. And finding different ways to understand the lessons of the afterlife to bring it into the here and now. I do that, you know, in a bit with Life After Breath, but this is a sequel and a continuation and a direct, you know, lesson, you know, basis, as well as I have different you know, meditations that I have sprinkled within the book. Um, and so I'm trying to think of a title, kind of like the wisdom of Jacob's Ladder, but, you know, you have to have like two or three words to fit in a book. So... I'm counting on you, Karen. If you have a title, on, if even that's at two in the morning, you know, I'm all open for it. So I'll I'm just getting it. stuck. You know, what's interesting, guys, we see one thing, the whole world could, could implode in flames. But if we're focused on one thing, that's all we'll see where females are able to multitask a lot easier. So, I mean, if you're able to, to if, you, if you know that, let me know. But I'm kind of stuck 
in my own way with this title. All right, I was just about this, to say this is true. And then my guides piped in and they said, only true if you believe it. And I'm like, damn, they always do that. You know, every time I come up with something that I believe to be true, they like, they smash it into a million pieces and say, only true if you believe it. So men have the ability to multitask just as much as women. It's, and it's, women, it's a cultural, it's a cultural, cultural thing. It's a, it's a cultural belief. It's a cultural hypnosis. And men have the ability and women have the ability to focus like a man. And so, yeah, it's a cultural, yeah belief and um what do you I want got to something believe? very funny for you before the show i kept on i've got a you know like someone who i know off of social media he's you know got a big following he's known as like the seatbelt medium his name is thomas john he's a big medium here what thomas did you call john. him seat his belt. name is thomas john thomas john he had like a television show called the seatbelt medium seat where belt literally medium. he was like a cab driver for people in cars on a show when he would give them readings as oh, a cab wow. driver. it's a great that idea sounds like so much and, fun you know, it's, it's pretty cool. It's on Amazon. If you have to check it out, it. seatbelt. He, has a book, he had a book called never argue with the dead person or something along <laughs> those lines. And I'm like, why am I hearing this over and over again? Never argue with the dead person. It's just like, okay, that was moving for that. But yeah, you never argue with spirit. Spirit never leads us astray. You know, those in the heavens, those guiding us, we should never argue with them because their awareness is infinitely greater than, than our own. I firmly believe that. Look, absolutely. And even though um, they have this infinite awareness, we as humans still argue with our guidance. I, yeah, yeah. I do all the time. I'm like, seriously, you want me to do that? They give, they say, look, this is a possibility for you. And I go, oh my God, that sounds like a lot of work. Do I really? I don't want to do that. And they go, your choice. <laughs> I said, I'll think about it. So I've been mulling it over for eight years. Anyway, it'll, it'll unfold and it'll happen one day. But I said, if you, if you want me to do this thing, I'm not going to do it alone. I, I need to get a team. And they said, yeah, we didn't ask you to do it alone. Get your team around you. Get a whole lot of people to create this thing. And I'm like, okay, let's do that. So, yeah, I argue with them all the time, chat with them, argue with them. <laughs> Don't never argue with them, as Thomas would say. I've got to check it, out it, the seatbelt medium. That sounds like so much it's, fun. It's a real cool show. It's, it's a good idea, literally. I mean, how he concentrates on the road while he's giving a reading is beyond, but he, he's very gifted, you know, but literally he'll be driving the car and then stuff will be coming you in know and what, he doesn't get into any accidents. You know what I'd good. like to see from you, Jacob, is I'd like to see uh, written down, not that I've read anything you've written down yet, <laughs> but some of your psychic experiences and conversations with Wayne Dyer and, and some of the experiences you've had in your hypnotherapy, talking to people's higher selves and guides and, or just oh your conversation, God. you bantering with Wayne Dyer would be fabulous. Even if you wrote an article about it, I reckon that would be really fun. What do you think? We, we, do, you, do you think that that would be fun to read or listen to? We go at each other. I mean, part of the issue is, you know, it's like, how could I put this? You have a relationship with someone, but then the family knows another side of them. So it's hard while people are still close to them and still grieving for the guy you know, to have something that public. And so it's more of a private thing. But I think in a way, it's it's our own relationship. I can't speak for the biological family and I don't have a monopoly. All I could speak of is that dynamic. But I could say we definitely mess around with each other and don't go at each other a lot. We know how to like, you know, we know that we know how to like go at each other, but you know, it, it's interesting. But, um, geez, what, what was I about to say? What did you do to me? Um, no, okay. he's not concerned so every, about that. Every, every time I get a reading, the first thing that any medium says is, When are you going to do readings? Because so and so mm -hmm. is telling me it's time for you to do readings. I'm like, Oh, god. 
I've kind of like came out of the NDE closet, but the psychic closet, I'm still like afraid, but maybe down the road I will. But with every reading, they're like, you should be, you know, and I do give readings in my Reiki sessions, but, you know, and sometimes in therapy, but they're like, you know, you have, you have, you have gifts and I know I do, but I'm just still trying to hone that. And I'm going to do something with you while we're still at the camera on and not after because I, often I do this with people after I turn the camera off and have these long yeah. conversations with people and I always think I wish I kept the camera on uh just a little just a little thing with you so you said people have told me that I need to do readings because I've got this ability but I'm still afraid what are you afraid of <laughs> I you know it, it um it's it's a lot of things but what I would say is this it's uh Psychic and medium stuff, I view as very, it's a very responsible position. You know, I think for yourself, people are hurting. And, you know, I, I feel that you have to come to a point where you bring it. Um, and so there's that pressure on myself of people are very much hurting and they're, okay, they're so struggling you, and they're going through so what grief. You're afraid of is, bring it. What you're afraid of is your, your own self-criticism your own rules that you've said right. that that and people who are hurting and you know not getting the accurate okay Jacob, or... i'm going to throw your words back at you i'm, I'm sorry i'm just Please. doing this on camera <laughs> i hope you don't mind if you don't That's mind. Okay. uh you said to me that uh wayne dyer said when people email him and said you know what you said didn't i don't agree with he said you can be connected head heart spirit and bring through and then you have to leave the rest of it to what people you can't control what people think so wouldn't you apply that to your own work no no that's that's good and what we should do is we should save this because in a couple of years from now when i have my own psychic television show <laughs> we could go back to this you know and give you all the cred we have we have proof and pudding right here you well, know, you know on film on, on camera I had Mary, Mary Rodwell in my home, beautiful, dear friend who's, you know, should they call her the alien lady, who, who's been hypnotising people for years and she's hypnotised thousands of people. When I say hypnotised, she's brought them to the awareness of their galactic lives and their other dimensional lives and their mission here on Earth and why they're here and what they're here to do during this transitioning time and on planet Earth. And she teaches this technique and she says what I teach, which is beyond what other hypnotherapy teachers teach, is I teach the hypnotherapist to expand their psychic awareness so that they travel with their client. And this is wow. what you're doing, right? So it's in, not just in, you. Indirectly, yeah. Right. And that's what I do when I'm working with people too. When they see things, I see things, the same thing. And sometimes I'll see it before they do and they'll see it and then I'll see it or I'll see it. And then I'll tell them and then they'll see it or I'll see things that I don't want to see. And then I'll think, damn, how do I say this to them? And then I'll ask them what they're seeing and then they'll see it. And it's so great. So we're, we're, to, we're traveling into the cosmos together, you know, and what I can't see, they see and what they can't see, I see. And so there's this expansion in consciousness and I'm sure that you're already doing that. So that's how you're utilizing your psychic abilities. So it doesn't necessarily yeah. mean that you have to get on psychic TV and do readings. <laughs> Do tick no, up no, readings no. or tarot card readings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you know, it's funny how, you know, as a therapist or as a hypnotherapist, the one skill that's not taught is intuition. And I, right. I agree with you. That's a great, that's a great asset within your client work. 
I know, for instance, in the U.S., the legendary psychic Sylvia Brown was a past life regression therapist, you know, and she would use her psychic skills exactly. to join the person. Exactly. And so certainly that's something that I will definitely entertain. I know I do that with Reiki and, mm -hmm. you know, that comes up a lot. But between psychotherapy, hypnosis, you know, that could definitely uh, put clients with, with better help, better resistance, better support. So yeah. for sure. Well, darling one, there's a lot more to come from you. You're young, you're passionate, you're enthusiastic. Can't wait to see what else unfolds <laughs> and you're ambitious, which is wonderful to be ambitious in this arena rather than being ambitious in the stock market or, you know, whatever. To be, a, you know, like ambitious to expand the consciousness and share the love and spread the message. It's wonderful to see that. That's as, what I live Wayne would say, I'm in kind of like that warrior stage of life, right? You know, I'm just you know, kind of hungry and all that hungry, stuff. Hungry, yeah, yeah. Motivated, all that stuff. So it's yeah, good. it's it's good to be young and to use that energy, um, you know, for for greater good. So it's wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing all that you've shared with us today on the show. It's been wonderful. Thank you. My honor to be here with you. Thank you, Karen. A wonderful conversation with Jacob Cooper. Hmm, it's interesting. I had seen a couple of his interviews. He was saying after I turned off the recording that he liked that it was free flowing. I had not set questions and we just let the conversation go where it was going to go. Could have gone so many other places. Uh, but yeah, I had seen some of his interviews and I'd seen him sort of repeating the same thing on each interview. And I thought, I don't want to do that. Like, I don't want it to be like everybody else's interview. If you want to see him talk about specific things, you know, he's talked I like to share the love. I'm not into competition, like only watch this on my show. I like to have something different. And I hopefully we had another conversation that he didn't have on other shows today. We got into so many things. Wayne, Wayne Dyer was so present. I love Wayne. You know, I was saying that um, I had that regret that I didn't meet him physically and sort of hug him and say, thank you so much for how you've changed my life because I was in vanity. I didn't want to seem like a silly little fan or whatever, whatever, I was in my 20s, I was young. But he said to me after he passed, which many spirits say, you don't have to worry, I'm here, I'm here now, you can talk to me now, just because I'm not in the physical doesn't mean you don't still, can't still sort of hug me and say thank you and I will, will receive your, I will receive your um, gratitude and appreciation. Yes, Wayne, he's so beautiful and so busy on the other side, teaching and, and guiding people. He's, yeah, so obviously Jacob's one of the people he guides and um, he, he helps people write. Um, yeah, so maybe if you want to write uh, something spiritual about life after death or about spirituality, call on Wayne Dyer. He's available to help you get your music out of out of you is what he used to say to people i want to die i want to get my music out of me before i die so if you want to get your music out of you before you die call on wayne he'll come and help you so beautiful but jacob was fascinating wasn't he just fascinating he's so highly intelligent and intellectual yeah lots more to come from jacob cooper lots more to come from jacob cooper uh, yeah, so I'm going to invite him into the inner sanctum as a guest teacher. Maybe you've got some queries and questions for him or his hypnotherapy work or life after life or, um, or maybe you've got some questions for me. If you do, join up, join our tribe. And uh, we're on each week chatting about all this stuff. And what did he call it? Cognitant, cognizance reframing. Oh, big word. I'll probably never remember it. <laughs> I'm sort of geeking out on the uh, divine choreography, which is what 
Michael said, the divine choreography. Jacob talked about that as well. When he was a three-year-old dying, he could see all the angels and the masters and the teachers and all the help available to him as his body was dying, as his physical body was dying and he was given the choice. So what are you going to do? You're going to stay? You're going to go? You're going to come back? You're going to stay there? You're going to do what you said you wanted to do? But he could see that divine choreography. And what I love about that is that no matter what is happening in our lives, whether we're just driving the car or washing the dishes or dying or having some horrendous thing or our house is burning down, behind the scenes, behind the smokescreen of the world, the, the illusion of the world, the play, the actors on the stage, is this divine choreography going on where we are never alone. We are surrounded by angels and our guides and our higher self, of course, is always on, on tap to share its wisdom with us and help us heal i think it was robert henry the angel said through robert henry that our higher self is there to help us heal the physical body because it has our dna perfect balanced dna blueprint of the original design of the physical body because the higher self is the part of us that designed the physical attributes that we incarnate into be it good or bad, it's been designed by the higher self for the purpose of the exploration of consciousness in this lifetime. So there is a design, there is a divine blueprint that you can tap into if you are out of balance in your physical body and you're displaying dis-ease. Fascinating, isn't it? I've chatted to my higher self about that. Okay, bring on the original blueprint of health and thinness and all that sort of stuff <laughs> bring it on anyway so interesting i'm not going to say too much more today fascinating always love my conversations on the show always wonderful gives you things to think about let me know uh, if you had any aha moments during that conversation any queries any questions any comments please comment and let me know what you think of the shows i do love reading your comments and, and usually always reply not to everyone uh, but I try to get, reply to everyone but I do love reading them <laughs> and remember to subscribe if you're enjoying the shows or send me an email, email if you've got interesting things to share and uh, I'll see you all next time uh, remember to buy the book Awakened by Death lots more in that book of people sharing their amazing experience of their spiritual awakening through the death experience much like Jacob's was Love you all big time. Bye for now.